My name is Joel Fair. If I haven't met you yet, um, it's good to meet you, and I'd like to meet you some more after the service. I'm the operations director here at Crosspoint Coast, and it's a real gift for me this morning to be able to preach the gospel. Um, I feel honored and privileged to do that, and we get to do it together. I'm thankful for Jeremiah and Mark and Matt um, for giving me the opportunity, and I'm thankful for each of you um, for, for the, what you bring in serving and making God's name glorious. And so this morning we get to do that together. We're going to continue in our sermon series that's called The Table. And we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. I'd invite you to turn there in your Bible. Um, And if you need a Bible, we have these blue and white paperback Bibles that were probably on the seat at one point. They might be on the floor now. Feel free to grab one, unless it's in somebody else's hand, because that means they're probably using it. But grab one that's not being used, and I'll even give you a a little uh, help today. We're going to be on page 514 in these Bibles. So... Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. Uh, if you grab one of those Bibles, feel free to make it your own, right in the margin. We, our goal here is to dive into God's Word, to find out what He says about who He is, and then to preach that to ourselves and to each other constantly. And so take that Bible, make it your own, and, and we'll go from there. Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. So for the last five weeks, we've been looking at the ways that Jesus used meals in the Gospel of Luke as his method of ministry. Tim Chester's book, uh, A Meal with Jesus, has been a really helpful resource for us to guide our study. And if you haven't picked up a copy, I think we still have a couple copies at the connection table. It's been a a really good book. Um, And so we're we're using that to guide our sermon series. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a meal with Jesus and that meal being... um, enacted salvation. We know that in the opening sermon of the, of the series in Luke 7.34, it says that Jesus came eating and drinking. And so a lot of us got really excited about that. We were like, man, that, that's awesome. So I get to follow Jesus by eating and drinking. And we've seen how that eating and drinking placed Jesus in the lives of the people that he was sent to redeem. We've looked at the diversity of the lost. We've seen those who were lost in their sin and shame and knew it. We've seen those that were lost in their self-righteousness and maybe they didn't do it and know it. And we've seen that those that were just ignorant, that kind of uh, rested in that blissful ignorance. And how Jesus went to all of them and He meets all of their needs, no matter who they are or what sin they're struggling with. We looked at how Jesus used meals as an act of grace, community, Hope, last week we talked about a meal as an acted mission. And so this morning we get to see how Jesus used his last meal as an acted salvation. So please follow along as I read our passage from Luke 22, verses 7 through 20. Verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered a city, the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. 
And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for the gathering that you have called. Uh, We're grateful for the people that you have put in our lives, Lord, that we get to come together to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so this morning we start with gratitude. We pray that you would tune our hearts to that. That even as we have worries and as we have fears and as we have concerns that that would want to um, distract us, we pray that you would tune our hearts to sing your praise, to sing your grace. Lord, I pray for um, the partners that are in CP Kids this morning that are pointing our children to you. What a gift. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them, that you would build them up that you would give them strength. God, we thank you for um, the sending out that you are doing. As Jeremiah talked about, God, we thank you that, that you have called us to participate, and we pray that we would hear that in the gospel message this morning, and that that would be attractive because of what you've done in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. Thank you for the beauty of your Son and the beauty of your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in our passage, we see that Jesus is getting ready to eat the Passover meal. We believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Um, I know that for me, it's easy to remember that he's the Messiah. Sometimes I forget that he's Jewish. I think that he's Christian. Um, And so I don't put those two things together. And yet Jesus was a Jew. And so he is the Jewish Messiah, the coming Savior. And he's practicing the Passover meal. And so I think that it would be really helpful for us to look at the Passover meal because this is the the overarching story of the Bible. God saving and redeeming a chosen people for His glory to show His power and His love and His holiness. And so let's look um, at the the Exodus story and, and read God's decree of the Passover meal In Exodus chapters 11 through 13, I'm not going to read them all before you get too anxious about that. In Exodus chapter 11 through 13, we talk about, um, it's discussing the final plague that's coming. We know that God sent 10 plagues to Pharaoh to, to, to prove that he was God and to let his people go. And finally, after the 10th plague, the killing of all the firstborn, Pharaoh sends them out. But, but in chapter 12, of Exodus verses 7 through 13, the Lord hasn't redeemed them yet, but he is telling them about the feast in which they will celebrate their redemption. Verse 7 says, Then they shall take some of the bread, sorry, excuse me, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, 
roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here we see God is declaring both judgment and mercy. Judgment for the Egyptians and for their false gods and mercy for His chosen people. He's telling the enslaved and abused children, His children, how He will rescue them. He tells them to take a lamb and to use the blood of the lamb and to wipe it on the doorpost and on the lintel, which is the cross piece over, over the door or the window. We see that this mark, this is the identifying factor that says that these are His children, the covering of the blood of the Lamb. And there's a death that's required for this mark to even, to even be put up. The Lamb has to be slain. And then the people use the blood of the Lamb to seal as a seal over their doors, and God consecrates His people by that blood. And the neat thing that we see in this is that the people eat this meal in faith. The redemption hasn't happened. When God is declaring this, He's declaring it to Aaron and Moses, and He's telling him what He's going to do. And He tells him, and you eat it with your sandals on, with your belt strapped, with your staff in your hand, because I'm coming and I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to rescue you. If they don't believe that that's true, then they don't eat dressed. But they did eat dressed. They believed that if God said it, it was going to happen and He was going to redeem them and He was going to rescue them. God commands the Israelites to keep this day, even after the rescue. Before the rescue happens, He's declaring, hey, I'm going to do this and you're going to remember it every year. And you're going to celebrate and you're going to have a party. And you're going to remember that I am the God who saves, that I am the God who rescues. And so this is the Passover feast that Jesus is getting ready to have with His disciples and that he's going to prepare. And so let's look at uh, verse 7 of Luke chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So Jesus sends two of his disciples, Peter and John, and he tells them to go and prepare the Passover celebration and the feast so that they can all partake and remember God's grace. And this would be something that they had done, that they had grown up in, that they had seen and experienced. But they're confused and don't know what to do with the request. And they ask this question in verse 9. They said, well, where would you have us prepare it? And here we see that disciples depend on Jesus. They're given a task, but instead of just running with it and going off and, and getting it done, they come back. And they asked Jesus what to do. We saw it when Mark preached on the feeding of the 5,000. And, and the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, these people are hungry. What are we going to do? And he says, you feed them. And they said, how? Right? So, I mean, there's this, 
there's this command that God gives, and then immediately following, they, they lean back into Jesus and say, God, how, where, when? I tend to judge them. I tend to say, silly disciples, man. Three years of doing this with Jesus, and they still don't even get it. I have this mindset that, that at this point, they should have it figured out. They should, Jesus should be able to give them a simple task and say, go and do it, and they should just, bam, get it done. Maybe these disciples are way wiser than I am. They seem to live in the mindset that Jesus knows. Hey, Jesus knows, so why don't we just ask Him? Jesus is incredibly patient and kind. My wife in my sermon prep was telling me that maybe I'm making a little much of this, but it's probably for me, but maybe it's for somebody out there too. That you just take and you go and you forget that not only does God give you the command, but He also walks with you and and He wants you to ask how, when, where. And so we lean back into that and we say, God, what would you have me do? Okay, how would you have me do it? When would you have me do it? Where would you have me do it? And he walks with us. See, Jesus is patient and kind with his disciples. He doesn't rebuke their question, but he answers them and points them to where they should go. He holds their hands and walks them through even what we would deem as menial tasks. You know the crazy thing? He doesn't even need them. He doesn't need them to go and prepare this feast. We're going to see it. As we're reading through, it's already prepared. Christ has already prepared the feast for our salvation. The meal of salvation was prepared in the beginning. Just like in Exodus, the salvation of God's people was laid out and established before His people even took a single step. So we trust that God is in control and that He has prepared the meal. Let's look at verse 10 through 13. Verse 10, he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. You see, Jesus had already prepared the meal. He already knew. He said there's going to be a guy there. He's going to be carrying a jar of water, which for us doesn't seem like a big deal. But for those disciples, that's an act of faith to go and look for a guy carrying a jar of water because in that culture and in that time, it was the woman's role to go and and get water from the well. So to even have to go and look for a man carrying a jar of water, that says that was out of the realm of, of what they were expecting. And so they had to act in faith. But Jesus invites them to participate in the preparation of the meal. He doesn't need them, but He invites them. And He turns this this simple thing of preparing a meal into an opportunity for the disciples to act in faith and for Him to display His glory and power. Because you know what? When they went and saw that it was exactly like He said it was going to be, They were encouraged, they were built up, and they said, man, I can trust what Jesus says. I can trust that He's good. I can trust that He has a plan. I can trust that He's prepared it. Even when I don't see it, even when it sounds crazy, I trust that God is in control. These next verses, um, 14 and 15, have have an incredible amount of depth in them. 
um, and its depth of care and emotion. And we read it, verse 14, And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Here we see Jesus reclining at table when the hour arrives. He's eating with his disciples, and over the last couple of weeks, if you were here, you remember, but if you weren't, I, I just want to express that in this culture, the eating together was a sign of intimacy. It was a sign of acceptance and bringing in. And so we've seen and discussed the magnitude of sharing meals together. It's an intimate setting already, but then you look at what Jesus says. And he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Charles Spurgeon describes this intimacy in one of his sermons on the passage like this. The mere follower does not sit at table with his leader. The disciple does not claim to be a fellow commoner with his master. The servant is seldom entertained at the same table with his Lord. The befriended one is not always invited to be a guest. But here the Lord Jesus made his chosen ones to be his table companions. He lifted them up to sit with him at the same table, to eat of the same bread and to drink of the same cup with himself. From that position, he has never degraded them. They were representative men, and where the Lord placed them, he has placed all his saints permanently. All the Lord's believing people are sitting by sacred privilege and calling at the same table with Jesus. For truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He has come into our hearts, and he sups with us, and we with him. We are his table companions, and shall eat bread with him in the kingdom of God. So we have this setting of Jesus earnestly desiring to have this Passover meal with his disciples. There's an intimacy, there's, a, there's an invitation to know him and to be known. And what is he inviting them to participate in? The last of verse 15 says, before I suffer. Jesus, just like he knew that there would be a man carrying a, a jar of water, knows what's coming the next day. A father's prepared a plan of redemption since the beginning of the age. A plan that would redeem his people with an eternal sacrifice. This plan would require a perfect lamb. It's the lamb that was pointed to by every other lamb at the Passover feast. It was a lamb that would come and not offer a temporal deliverance, but an eternal salvation. A slain lamb. Jesus knows what is coming as he sits and reclines at table with his disciples. He knows what the next day holds. He knows the suffering that he will experience on that day, and he invites the disciples to suffer with him. In the middle of this meal, Jesus is sharing with the disciples the plan of the Father. He's inviting them in. He's saying, I won't eat this meal again until the kingdom of God comes. He's not going to have another meal until God has done something. And we know what he does the next day, but the disciples don't know. And so Jesus is drawing them in and saying, this is it. 
He's pointing to the next day when on the cross, he's going to deliver God's chosen people once and for all, drinking the cup of God's wrath that we justly deserve. When we look at the cross, we see both judgment and we see mercy. Just like the Passover was judgment and mercy. And so we see judgment against sin, that God would pour out his wrath on his son for our sin and our shame. And we see mercy that God would redeem a people who were not a people and make them his own. We see that the blood of the lamb washes our sin away. We see that we are bought with an incredible price, that it's a costly grace. It's not a cheap grace that we get to, to take for granted, but it's a costly grace. Paul in Ephesians points to the blood of Christ and in Ephesians he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because of the shed blood of Christ, we too can recline at table with Jesus. We're invited to the table. Jesus goes farther in the Gospel of John in chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus says to, to the crowd that's gathered around him, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He invites his followers to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Not just invites, but he makes that necessary for salvation. He says, you won't have life unless you do these things, unless... You eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He declares that participation is a requirement for life. And in the upper room, he's making that call again. See, in John, he had already said that. And he's drawing these disciples again. And he's saying, he's making an invitation to come and to, to eat. But he invites them not just to eat, but to die. It may not be an immediate death for each of them, but it's a continual death to self. It's a continual um, taking up the cross that Jesus has for them. We saw it in Exodus. There's this repeated pattern throughout the Bible of suffering and then glory. Jesus, excuse me, we saw it in Exodus where there was a Passover. The people had been enslaved. They had suffered. They were beaten. They were used And then God redeems them for His glory. And so there's this suffering and then glory. And all of it for the purpose that they would know that He is the Lord. Exodus 12.12 says, I am the Lord. The goal of His redeeming a people is so that the people would see that He is the Lord. And we see that pattern in Jesus where the suffering servant is crushed. He drinks the cup of God's wrath. He rises. He's ascends into heaven and all for the glory of God to the glory of the Father. By partaking of His flesh and His blood, we join with Him and with each other in suffering so that God will be glorified. Uh, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.21, To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. There are people in this room um, right now that are experiencing suffering. Many of us suffer with family, uh, finances, health, different concerns, and we have, um, we're suffering. 
Sometimes it feels like we suffer alone, and yet Jesus has suffered and suffers with us, and the invitation is to continue to suffer for His glory. So this morning I want to encourage you, and maybe you don't, um, maybe you think, Joel, you don't, you don't understand. My suffering is, is a diagnosis that is incurable, or my suffering is, is I've been ostracized because of my race, or my suffering is um, something that you just wouldn't understand, and you're right. I don't know the extent of, of everyone's suffering, or maybe it's suffering. I don't know if my family is saved. And so we cry out in our suffering. And yet God has promised that this suffering is a light momentary affliction compared to the weight of glory. So whatever you're going through right now, A, God's called you to it. So know that you're in his hand. Know that he's walking with you. And know that whatever it is, and it seems like the magnitude is so great, that this suffering that you're experiencing is, pales in comparison to what he has in the glory of his name. It promises that if we suffer like Christ suffers, we will be glorified with him. And what does glory look like? It looks like a seat at the table in the kingdom. Every Sunday here at Cross Point Coast, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so we take the bread and the cup and we remember the story of God and how He has redeemed a people for Himself, for His glory. He doesn't redeem us so that we have comfort. He doesn't redeem us so that we um, always can smile because there's going to be times where, where we just we suffer. And yet He's redeeming us for His glory to say, look, my suffering people, I carry them and I deliver them. I save them and I rescue them. We take the bread and the cup and we remember the story of God, how He's redeemed us. And it's not just a Sunday morning event. It's not just a Sunday morning commitment where, where every time when we take communion, that, that's the only time. No, it's an everyday thing. That's what we're driving for, right? We're driving that every meal that we take would be a remembrance of God's provision, His goodness, His kindness in sending a Savior. Tim Chester says that the purpose of Jesus' suffering on the cross is for sharing community around a meal table with His people. Jesus suffered so that we can come to the table. There's a portion of God's holiness that will, God is holy and He will have nothing to do with sin. And so we are far off, we are far away from Him, and yet because of what Jesus has done and how He took our sin and our shame, and He bore it on the cross, now we are invited and we are drawn in. and We can sit at the table. We can feast with God. Luke twenty two sixteen says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke twenty two sixteen. Seventeen says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. There's a promise of a coming kingdom. This meal that we have isn't just a picture of what is to come, but it's actually us beginning the meal right now. We are experiencing the kingdom of God right now as we gather together by the blood of the Lamb that was slain. We get to experience the kingdom of God. Now, it's a partial 
right? It's still messed up because we still have sin. We still live in a broken world. But God is restoring and renewing all things. And so in this moment, when we gather together, we experience the kingdom of God. Christ has purchased for himself a bride and the payment has been made. So there's no future payment to be made. It's not, he's still working. It's done. The death of Christ on the cross, the resurrection, has sealed for us this inheritance and this kingdom. We can live in that now by loving our neighbors and inviting them in to break bread together and celebrating who God is in every meal, in every moment. Been reading uh, Rosaria Butterfield's book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And she talks about strangers becoming neighbors, becoming friends, becoming family. God is drawing us in. He's, we were once far off, and now He's drawing us near, and we're becoming family, gathered around the table, rejoicing in who God is. We're invited to participate in that story today. We have glimpses of it now. We, hopefully we've all eaten a meal with family and friends and we've, we've sat there satisfied and you don't even want to get up because it's that good. You know there's dishes to do. You know people have to go. But there's a satisfaction in a good meal with family and friends where everybody's laughing or maybe everybody's crying, but there is still this intimacy and this bond and the satisfaction that you, that you have. I believe that that's the kingdom of God, and I believe that Christ has purchased that for us. And so we live in the kingdom now, and we're invited to participate. The depth of contentment that we find at the table is a foretaste of what God has in store for us for eternity. Chester puts it this way, When the disparate people of God come together and express community around the table, united as we are in Christ, then the promised feast finds fulfillment. When we celebrate the goodness of creation as we enjoy our food, then the promised feast finds fulfillment, and we anticipate the renewal of creation. When we eat together in the presence of God by His Spirit, the promised feast finds fulfillment. These are powerful declarations to the world of the coming feast of God, to which all humanity is invited, and the current presence of God with His people. In those moments where we eat, the satisfaction is not the food and it's not the company. The satisfaction is in Christ who draws us together. We know that even the joy we feel now in celebrating Christ together as a church pales in comparison to the reality of sitting at His table in His eternal kingdom. We have that promise. And I want to close looking at that promise. Revelation 5 Verse 6 and then 9 and 10. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests of our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that by your blood, 
you have brought us in. We who were far off, not just far off, but we were actually rebellious. We hated you. We didn't want to have anything to do with you. We were your enemies, and yet you died on the cross. You were slain for our sin, for our shame. All that the Father would be glorified. So you have made a way for us to be together. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the exhortation this morning to to participate in the meal that you've prepared for us. We thank you that you invite us to prepare that meal, to, to share that gospel, to preach that gospel to each other, to ourselves, to our neighbors. We thank you that even now you are taking strangers and turning them into neighbors, taking neighbors and making them friends and friends in the family, Lord. And so we rejoice in that. God, I pray that this morning you would speak to our hearts. God, that we would find your table satisfying. And that that satisfaction would motivate us, not out of a sense of obligation or duty, although we do know that, that you have called us to it, but that what would motivate it would be a heart that has been changed. That we would experience the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love, that that love would compel us to go and and to share in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is sufficient to meet all of our needs. Thank you for his broken body for us, for his shed blood for us. That now, because of our right standing with you, we can share in the gospel together and we can encourage one another and we can sit at the table together and we can become the kingdom of God. Pray that we would believe those things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.